Welcome to the Scotts Hill Podcast, Tuesday Theology Edition. At Scotts Hill, one of our core values is studying God's Word. So on Tuesday nights, our pastors teach a class focused on topics within systematic theology. They do this to equip our people with the right knowledge of God. This podcast is a recording of that teaching session. Enjoy! My name is Jim Dunn. I'm the administrative pastor here at Scotts Hill Baptist Church. It's great to see you here tonight as uh, we continue our study in Wayne Grudem's Bible Doctrine. And tonight as we uh, get into our study, we're going to, uh, to look at the book and we're going to be introduced to the doctrine of God. And in doing that, we're going to look uh, at the character of God. And we're going to do that over the course of the next two weeks. Tonight we'll be looking at God's incommunicable uh, attributes. And next week, Pastor Phil... We'll talk about his communicable attributes. But as we do this tonight, we're going to answer the three questions that you have there in your text that you look to answer. And that is, how do we know that God really exists? Uh, And then can we really know God? If we do believe he exists, can we know him? And then how... Uh, is God different from us? And that leans into the incommunicable attributes that we see. Eric is going to put something on the screen in just a moment. And as you see this, I want you to say the first thing that you see, okay? Eric, put that up there. All right. Not everybody participated, so are you struggling with that, all right? Uh, I heard a few, God God is now here, all right? God is now here. I heard God is nowhere, all right? Uh, Most everybody, I think, has seen this before, and because you have seen it, I think you answer in the way that you think you should answer in church, and that is God is now here, right? But I have to be honest, the first time that this popped up on the screen, I was like, Junior, And the first thing that I saw is that God is nowhere, okay? Uh, And that's the world we live in today. I mean, there are a portion of people that believe that God does not exist and that He is nowhere. And then there are those who are assured of His presence and His existence, and we know that God is now here, that Emmanuel has come, God with us. And so we rest in that. And so tonight, we're going to kind of walk through this. I'm going to do some supplemental teaching on the existence of God. We're going to take our questions, both the review questions and the personal application questions. We're going to weave those together, and we're just going to spend some time walking through the text and get in a grasp of God's incommunicable attributes uh, in that way. Let me ask you this question. How many of you have ever had someone come to you and question the existence of God? Okay. Most people in the room have had someone question the existence of God. And how many of them ask you, how can you know for certain, because they know you're a believer, how can you know for certain that God exists? Have they asked you that question? All right. When someone asks you, this is a question that wasn't in your text, but it was a question that was in our small group questions if you're doing the Revelation study this past week. And the question started out like this. If someone asked you to help them picture God, how would you do it? How would you do that? We're looking tonight at his incommunicable attributes, right? And so a lot of times the things that you want to point to when you begin to define God and give God a picture of someone God is you want to talk about who he is and what is revealed about him through the scripture, right? And we find that God is eternal, right? We find that he is omnipotent. We find that he is omniscient. We find that he is wise, that he has all wisdom in his hands, all right? All knowledge is his. So we begin to share the attributes that we know about God in presenting us uh, who he is to people. The shorter catechism says this. What is God? It says God is spirit, infinite, eternal, and unchangeable in his being, wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And so as you think about that definition that comes from the Westminster Shorter Catechism, the thing that you see is it points to his attributes, both his incommunicable attributes and his communicable attributes. Let me ask this question. This came from your personal application questions. Do you believe that today most people believe in the existence of God? Yes. Okay. So we got a yes. Anybody else? All right. We got some yeses and we got some noes. Interesting. In 2018, a poll was taken in the United States, and the percentage of people who believed in God had dropped to an all-time low of 50%. Now, three years later, we might imagine that that 
that that percentage has even dropped less, right? Because we find ourselves living more and more in an atheistic society where people deny the existence of God. But we said yes, that people do uh, believe in God. Do you think that the belief in God has been present throughout history? All right. Get some yes. Okay. Uh, so, you know, we find that most people, why do you think that throughout history there has been this belief in God, wherever they may be across this world, not, not here in the United States, but throughout history? Why has there been this belief in God? Okay. God reveals himself. All right. Uh, and we see, we see that in many ways. We'll look at some of those in just a moment. Uh, but, you know, one of the things that comes out through our, through our reading uh, that all of us, all of mankind, and we'll dig into this as I lean into some lecture in a minute, have this inner sense of God, right, of his being and existence. I mean, even the people in the darkest jungles of South America and Africa have this inner sense within them that God is real, right? Now, they may not know the God that we know, but they may worship a God that they don't know, and many times they're worshiping things that they may see in the created order, all right? Because they do not know the truth of who God truly is. But there's this inner sense that God is real. If, you believe, if they believe that God is real, why do you think that they have not worshipped him rightly? If all people across this world and the majority believe in the existence of God, why do they not worship him rightly? Okay? The suppression of the truth because of the unrighteousness of man. All right? All right, the sin in their life, okay? Uh, the adversary blinding their eyes, all right? Um, why do you think many people deny the existence of God? Not just worship Him rightly, but why do they flat out deny His existence? So, so in essence, when they're denying the existence of God, who are they making God? Themselves, Right? So they're making a God out of themselves because they do not want to be held accountable for their actions and the things that they are doing in their lives. So it's easier to deny the existence of God because then I don't have to answer to anyone. And so you're right. They don't have to bow down. And you're right, Emery, as well. So we find that to be true. Uh, the question came from this same personal application, and someone's already mentioned the text. Does Romans 1.18 suggest there's often a moral factor influencing, influencing the denial of God's existence? And I think we just covered that, right? That surely it does. Uh, because it says the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. We compare that with Psalm 14, verses 1. The fool says in his heart, what? There is no God, all right? They are corrupt and they do abominable deeds, right? So they're denying the existence of God because of their choices and the life that they are in. Now, just as we did with our look at the Bible, uh, the doctrine of the Bible, we've got to begin with the basics when we think about God. And that's why we started with this question from the personal application section about God's existence because that's where we need to begin. Does he really exist? And how do we know that he exists? And then we'll look at his knowability. We'll look at the immutability or, or we'll look at the, the attributes that are there, his unchangeableness, his eternity. Uh, we'll look at his unity. We'll look at all of those things as we move through tonight. But we'll begin by looking at God's existence. And in doing that, let's remember three truths. And you've mentioned those in walking through that opening question, okay? The first thing we need to understand and the truth that we need to understand is that God is real. God is real. He's not fictitious. He's not a storybook character. He's not from a fairy tale. He is as real as me and you. And so how do we know that God exists? Well, there's many who will argue that belief in the existence of God is complicated, that it's confusing. But the way the Bible lays things out, that is not the way the Bible presents God to us. And so, as we look at the Bible, the Bible assumes that we will grab hold to the existence of God. That we will trust in what it's saying. But there's four reasons that the existence of God is intuitively obvious in our own hearts and lives. And the, this is the four of them. The first is the inner sense. We looked at that just a moment ago. We all have this inner sense that God does exist. No matter where we are from 
or where we have been raised, there is this understanding within us that there's the existence of God and that we are his creatures, that he is the creator, and that he does exist. And so we look at that. We also, and it was said as we walked through those questions, that we see God's creativity in all that he has made, and it points to his existence. Uh, we look at Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work of his hands. Day after day they for, pour forth speech. Night after night they display knowledge. All we have to do to think about the existence of God and his work of creation is to step outside on a cloudless night, right? And we look to the heavens and we see the stars in the universe and the Milky Way and we are enamored at the beauty. Maybe to stand on the rim of the Grand Canyon and to see the majesty that lays before us or to stand on the ocean shore and to look at the vastness of the sea. We can step out into our world and nature proclaims the existence of God. In fact, if we go back to that Romans passage, uh, we, we find that people are without excuse when it comes to knowing God and knowing and believing in God because nature is enough to point to his existence, right? And so we see it in the things that he has made. We also see the evidence of God's existence and that he is real in his thumbprint on human history. His thumbprint on human history. Um, as we think about this, Acts 17, 26 and 27 says, From one man he made every nation of men, that they should inhabit the whole earth. And he determined the time set for them and the exact places where they should live. God did, did this so that men would seek him and perhaps reach out for him and find him, though he is not far from each one of us. As we think about the history of our world, it truly is his story. And we find as we look at the world around us that God truly is the one who is the author of all things. He is the director. He is the main character of everything that we see in this world and in this life. And the passage reminds us that there's nothing ordinary about our God because he is sovereign. He is in control. He has determined the times and the places of all of world history. He sets the events in motion. He alone, he alone decided to start afresh after the flood. He decided when to send Moses in to deliver the Israelites from Egypt. As we look to the Old Testament and the New, we could find hundreds of examples of where God's thumbprint is on history and at him being in control of all things is still true today because God allows things to come about in this world. He can allow a, an evil ruler to be raised up and to also be put down. It is God who determined that Abraham Lincoln would be born in a certain place at a certain time for just a time in history that we needed him, right? And God is still at work in those ways, uh, putting things in place. Why? Why did I say? So that men would seek him, right? And possibly find him. He's moving and working throughout history so that men might come to know him and to know who he is. And not only do we see his thumbprint in history, we can see God's actions in our own lives. In our own lives. You see, throughout Scripture, we can see that taking place as well. Uh, perhaps one of the greatest examples of God being personally involved in someone's life can be found in the Old Testament with the story of Elijah, right? We know the story. Uh, Elijah has been battling it out with the prophets of Baal. Uh, he is trying to protect the Israelites from their influence in their lives. He is passionate about that. And in doing that, he, he challenges the prophets of Baal. Uh, and he challenges them. And, and 450 prophets of Baal ascend on the mountain to accept the challenge. And Elijah lays it out before them. They are to build an altar. They are to put a sacrifice upon the altar. And they are to call out to, God, to their God. And the God who answers will be seen as the true God. Well, the prophets of Baal spend all day long crying out and pleading and, and moaning and chanting to their God to no avail. Elijah says it's time. He has the men dig a trench around the altar that he has assembled. They fill it full of water. They douse the altar with water. He says a simple prayer to his God, and God sends a consuming fire. And it burns up the sacrifice on the altar, also burning up the wood of the altar, the stone of the altar, and drying up all the water that surrounded it. 
God was actively involved in the life of his prophet, and he is just as much involved in our lives today. God works in clear ways in our lives, maybe not as dramatic as a consuming fire being cast from heaven, but we see it. Maybe it's God working in our lives to restore a relationship that has been severed or giving us the strength and the ability through the power of the Holy Spirit to resist temptations and strongholds in our life. Or, you know, we may see him uh, at work when, when we have been overwhelmed by the situations and circumstances of our life that worry and trouble has settled in on us and a peace comes upon us that passes all understanding. Why? Because God is working in our lives. And the greatest work that he has done on our behalf is when he sent his son, Jesus Christ, that we might have life and we might have forgiveness. His action was seen greatest on the cross. And so God is real. And we see that through his actions, through his thumbprint on history, through his creativity, and through the inner sense that we each have in our lives. But listen, God also, the existence of God is seen because God reveals himself to us. God reveals himself to us. And, and uh, Carolyn said that, uh, that God reveals himself. And he does so uh, in several ways. Uh, God reveals himself, as we said, through creation. That's what many of you leaned into when we talked about how would you demonstrate and share with someone the existence of God. Many of you leaned into talking about his creative work in this world. Uh, but God not only reveals himself through the world around us, God also reveals himself to us through his word, through his word. Second Peter 1, 20 through 21 says, knowing this, first of all, that no prophecy of scripture comes from someone's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever produced by the will of man, but men spoke from God as they were carried along by the Holy Spirit. So we've got to remember that God has revealed himself through his word. These, these men were not predictors of the future. They were carried along by the work of the Holy Spirit in their life. And as God spoke to them, they wrote those things down so that they could communicate with his people. That was true in the Old Testament as he spoke through the prophets. Uh, that was true uh, when Moses wrote down the Ten Commandments. It was true when Jeremiah wrote to and, and dictated to his secretary Baruch to write on the scroll so that he could share that with the people. The same has been true in the New Testament when Paul, by the, by the work of the Holy Spirit in his life, writes and, and, and shares that with the churches and, and through the letters. We can see that through Luke. But the Bible is God's revelation of himself to us. It's a special revelation. From Genesis to Revelation, God has revealed himself through his word. And we may think, as we think about the Bible and all that it holds, we may think, you know what, that's the greatest revelation that God could ever give us because it shares so much about who God is. But the truth of the matter is, it's not the greatest revelation, is it? Because he also reveals himself not only through his word and through his creation, but the greatest way that he revealed himself was through his son. Through his son. John 1.18 says, No one has ever seen God, the only God, who is at the Father's side. He has made him known. And then we see uh, in 1 John 5.20, uh, we know that the Son of God has come and has given us understanding so that we may know Him who is true. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1 and 2. Long ago and at many times, in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, He has spoken to us by His Son, whom He appointed heir of all things, through whom also He created the world. God gives us the greatest picture of who He is as we look at Jesus Christ. It's the greatest picture that we could have. Jesus came that we might come to know the truth, and the truth is who God is. And he came to reveal the Father to us, and he came. Jesus Christ stepped out of the portals of heaven. He took on human flesh. Why? So that we might be reconciled to our God and our Creator. That's why he came. And he was the perfect revelation. So we see that God is real. We see that he reveals himself to us. But the third thing that points to God's existence is something that happens in our own life, and it's this. God is relational. God is relational. Listen, through the work of Jesus Christ on the cross and our coming to, to him in faith, God has done an amazing work in our lives because he has adopted us into his family. 
making us joint heirs with Jesus Christ. He gives us the ability to call God our Abba Father. Uh, he has made us heirs uh, to the riches and the glories of heaven as we find in Ephesians. Our God and our Father has compassion on us as His children. He, he watches over us. He guides us in our life. He, he leads us each and every day. He rewards us and gives us blessing when we walk in obedience to the things that He shows us. God is a relational God. So when we come to this aspect of can we truly know God, yes, we can, right? We're going to walk through some of that in just a moment as we walk through the questions. But how do, I, how do I share with someone the best way that I know that God exists? By what He has done in my life and the life that He has called me to, right? No one can argue with your personal testimony and the work that God has done in your life and the relationship that you share with God through Jesus Christ. That's something you hold. That's something you have. And it's one of the greatest indicators of the existence of God that we can have. Okay? So as we continue our time tonight, all right, that's just the portion of the existence of God. We've kind of stepped on some of the areas that came out in our reading. What I want us to do now is I want us to go through the questions, both the review questions, the personal application questions, and I've kind of intermixed them together so that we're not going straight into some and straight into the other. But I want us to look at these things and discuss the truths that come out of the chapter and the personal application questions help us know and understand how this applies to our life and why does this matter, right? And so those are the things we want to look at uh, this evening. And so the first question is this. We walked through some of these, so just in this past section, but why do you think that God decided to reveal himself to us? Why do you think he wanted to reveal himself to us? Okay? For relationship. All right? Anything else? Okay? So that we would know the truth. All right? We would come to know him who is true and who is truth. Uh, for our own salvation, uh, out of His love, He revealed Himself to us so that we would not be left in what? Darkness. God revealed Himself to us so that we might be called out of the dominion of darkness and brought into the kingdom of light, right? That's His purpose in His revelation, that we might come to know Him who made us and created us. Uh, let me ask you this, because here's what many of you said. Do you learn more about God from His revelation in nature or is revelation in Scripture? All right. A resounding answer of Scripture. Okay. But as we asked that question of the existence, we all pointed to, uh, many of us pointed to nature, right? But nature is limited in what it can show us about God, right? The Word of God actually lays out and points to who He is. It points to His goodness. It points to His love. It points to His attributes. It shows us that He is all-powerful, that He is eternal. It shows us all of these things. So where nature can only do a part, and as Romans tells us, that they are without excuse because nature gives enough evidence of the existence of God, it can only lead us so far, right? And that's why the Word of God is so important. And that's why the Word of God is so important as we take it into the nations, right? Because people may have this inner sense that there is a God and there's something greater than themselves, but they may not know the truth because all they may see is the sun, moon, and stars. And they need someone to bring the truth of God's Word to them so that they can know the true God and experience Him through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. So He came to reveal Himself for our salvation. Um, why are God's thoughts precious to us as Psalm 139, 17? Why are His thoughts precious to us? The thoughts coming that help lead us and guide us in how we're to even respond to God. What else do His thoughts show to us? As you read God's... Okay, His character and His attributes. And what are some of those, Emery? Okay. 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 God is long-suffering. He's kind. He's patient. He is good. All right. We, get, we begin to catch a glimpse of the majesty and the greatness of our God when we look at His Scripture. And so His thoughts become precious to us because we understand who God is and see what He desires for our life. 
This question came up in your personal application. I think all of you would answer it to the affirmative. Would you call your present relationship to God a personal relationship? Okay. I didn't get an affirmative from everybody, but uh, I think yes for everybody, right? All right, I think that's why you're here, because you want to know and understand more about God. So you profess a personal relationship with God through Jesus Christ. How is that relationship similar to the relationships that you share with others? Okay, the more time you spend, the better the friendship. It's been said that love is spelled T-I-M-E, not L-O-V-E, right? Because we demonstrate our love for others in the time that we spend with them, and you're exactly right. And that is also true of our relationship with God. We demonstrate our love for Him in the time that we spend at His feet, in the time we spend in His Word, in the time we spend in meditation and in prayer. And so that is how it is similar to our relationship with others. How is it different? We can't see him, can't touch him, can we? Uh, we, can touch, we can sometimes feel God's presence through another person's touch, right? Have you ever been somewhere that you're really troubled in spirit and someone came and spoke a word of encouragement from God to you and just the touch on their shoulder assured you of the presence of God in your own life? Sometimes God has to put skin on through other people, right? Uh, but it is different. We can't see him. We can't physically touch him. Uh, we can cry out to him, though, right? We can't share our burdens with him. Uh, we can let him know the deepest, darkest pains of our, of our heart and our life. So sometimes <laughs> that's better than the real relationship, right? Because we won't share that with the person sitting next to us. But I can go and pour that out before God. And I can share those things with God. What would make your relationship with God better and stronger? To know more of his character and the things that are there. Okay? All right? We can, we can grow that relationship by spending more time. That's what Carolyn said. Okay? A deeper understanding of grace and a deeper appreciation of that grace as well, Rich. That's right. Anything else? of Making him the priority of that relationship. Very good. Uh, dying to ourself. Okay? Okay? Uh, Anything else? Those are great. You know, we think about the simple ones often, and I heard some great ones. We think about, you know, well, developing a more vibrant prayer life, maybe spending more time in the Word, maybe spending more time in meditation, doing those things to grow my relationship with God, and those are all great answers. Um, when you think about the definition of God's incomprehensibility, and that was in your reading, what does God's incomprehensibility mean? You cannot fully know him, okay? All right? Uh, he is unable to be fully understood, but can we know him? Okay? All right? So we can't understand all of his ways because his thoughts are higher than I, our thoughts. His ways are greater than our ways, right? So we cannot fully understand the mind of God, all right? So as we think about that aspect, there's the other part of this definition where it says this, that God is higher than us, but we can truly know him. How can we truly know him if we can't understand him? Okay, the Spirit reveals him, all right? Through that time spent with him, through that relationship, we are able to communicate with God. Uh, we are real to him. Uh, and there are things that he, we, he will not show us because we are infinite where he is finite. But we, you know, as we think about those things, uh, God is working and he reveals himself to us. And though we can't completely understand through his word and through prayer and through the spirit, uh, he does allow us to understand him in some way. Look at John 17, uh, verse 3. John 17, verse 3. It says that we can't understand him fully, but what does Jesus say here? It says, and this is eternal life, that they know you, the only one true God, and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So though we can't fully understand him, his desire is that we would know him, right? And we know him how? 
through a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Um, now, as we moved into the chapter, we looked and we said this was going to be about his incommunicable attributes, uh, as opposed to his communicable attributes that Pastor Phil will br- bring next week. What is, what is God's, what is the definition of God's incommunicable attributes? What is that? The attributes that he does not share with us, all right? As opposed to the communicable attributes, those things that he does share with us, okay? Uh, what are the uh, incommunicable attributes as you looked at your, at your session? Okay, his omnipresence, okay, his unchangeableness, okay, his eternal, all right, all right? His independence, his sovereignty, and then there was the last one, his, it was his unity, right? All right, as we think about those, what is God's, what does it mean for God to be independent? He doesn't need us or anything in creation for his existence, right? Uh, he is fully independent, all right? In thinking about that, that God is self-sufficient, that he is independent, where's the tension that lies? If God is independent, where's the tension that lies with us? What is the question that many people ask? Okay, why did he create us? Why are we needed? Do we even matter? Do we have any meaning in this life? All right? How do we reconcile that? How do we know that we matter and we have meaning? Okay, he's created us and he's delighted us. And he created us how? In his own image, right? So he's made us in that way. So though he is, indep- he is independent of us, not needing us for his existence, he is still relational with us in the sense that he has made us. We hold meaning. We hold value in his eyes, okay? Uh, in light of God's unchangeableness or his immutability, that's an easier word to say than <laughs> unchangeableness, right? Uh, as we think about those two terms, what does Scripture mean when it says, uh, what does His unchangeableness mean? First, what are they talking about when it talks about the immutability of God? That He is unchanging, all right? That's good, because we got unchangeableness, all right? So He is unchanging. He's unchanging in what ways? Okay, He's th- remained the same throughout history, all right? He is He is unchangeable in his perfections, the things that are known about him. He's unchangeable in his purposes, in his promises, all right? So he's unchangeable in all these ways. But we find that at the same time that God is able to feel emotions, and we see in Scripture that there are times when it looks like God has what? Changed. How do we reconcile that tension? He responds, Okay, he responds to our repentance. He responds to different situations in different ways, correct? So the example, of, the greatest example of that that we found in our reading was uh, the story of Jonah and the Ninevites, right? God had made a, had made a proclamation, uh, and that proclamation that judgment was coming to the people of Nineveh, correct? God, it looks and says that God relented on that action, and judgment didn't come. Why? Because they repented of the people. Did God's understanding and his hatred of sin change? No. It didn't change. But the situation changed because the hearts of the people changed. And so when we look at the the unchangeableness of God, maybe I need water. So as we look at that, we understand that God does not change in his perfection, in his promises, in any of those ways. But God does change in ways of situations and different circumstances that are there. In thinking about that doctrine, there were some questions in the personal application. And so, as we think about his unchangeableness, uh, will we, this was an interesting question, based on the fact that God does not change, will we be able to do a good job of bringing up children in such an evil world as we have today? Yes, Okay, and, and how can we do that? How do we know we can do that? Okay, by following his word, all right? By pointing them to truth, all right? What are some things that, um, what are some things that God's word shares with us uh, about the aspect of, uh, of parenting? What are some things that, that we can know? He shares with us how we're to instruct them, right? He shares with us how we are to 
correct them or discipline them, right? And so we come to understand that if we walk in accordance with his word, then we can be successful in raising our kids. The times have always been evil. History has always had evil in it. And so what we experience and see today is no different than what we saw in the Old Testament. And so just as he gave instruction to his people that as you rise up, as you walk by the way, as you lay down at night, give instruction to your children as he shared that in Deuteronomy chapter 6, the same is true for us. How can we be successful? By making sure we point our children to a relationship with God through Jesus Christ and letting them understand and know the truths of his word. That's how we can be successful. Uh, Is it possible in this day and time, in the evil that's all around us, for us to have close fellowship with God that the people had during biblical times. Okay? All right? Is God any different in this day as he was back in history? No. All right? He's what now? Probably easier, probably easier to know him now than it was even back then. Okay? All right? And so... How do, we get, how do we come into a close fellowship and relationship with God? First, how? All right, through a relationship with Jesus Christ. All right? God tells us over and over again, if we draw near to him, he will draw near to us. He, he tells us that if we come to him in prayer and we lift our request to him, that he, is, he will hear us. Uh, he has told us he's faithful and just to forgive us if we confess. And so we know that God is there for us to experience him in relationship if we do what? If we approach him, right? If we approach him. God is not distant and far off. He doesn't stand aloof to us. He is near to us if we draw near to him. Uh, He will walk with us in this world, and we will feel a closeness uh, with him. Uh, What can we think or do in order to make Bible stories more, more real and less removed from our present life? How do you make the Bible come alive? All right. One, you, you, you rest and trust in the power of the Holy Spirit to bring the truth out to you. When Jesus said that the Spirit would come, right? He promised the Spirit would come and would teach us all things, all right? But how can we look at narratives in the Bible and make those narratives alive and real if the Spirit's moving and working in our lives? All right, give testimonies, all right? You ever put yourself in the situation in the story? Maybe you become a character in the story and, and you begin to see the reality of the things that are happening. Uh, that can sometimes help. Asking the right questions of the text as you study God's Word helps the Bible come alive to us. Um, do you think God is any less willing to answer your prayers today than He was in the Old Testament? All right. And in that, we probably have a greater greater presence and a greater time of prayerlessness in our culture and our world today why do you think that is distractions busyness right all these things distract our attention away from God when he is there for us to call out to him knowing that he will respond to us if we do all right Um, thinking about God's eternality what does it mean that God is eternal, that He is eternity. He has no beginning and no end. He's always existed. He exists outside of time and space, all right? He's not bound by time and space, all right, uh, in that way. Um, as we think about God's eternality, He is, he is you know, we, we've been looking at that in Revelation, right? Uh, he was the one who, what? All right, and uh-huh, He's the Alpha, the Omega, the beginning, the end. The one who was and is and is to come, right? So we see his eternality. Is God, is God hindered by time? How does he see time? Okay, a thousand years is a day. What does he see time? Does he, I mean, does he see it? He sees all time at one time, right? So, so he, can, he can see today, but he can see all the way into eternity, right? But he can also see all the way in the past. So he sees time uh, on a continuum, and he's not, he's not impacted or affected by time in any way. It does not influence him in any way. We learned of God's omnipresence, which means 
present everywhere, which goes back to he is not bound by anything spatial or dimension in any of those ways, right? He is present everywhere. What was the tension of his omnipresence? If God is everywhere, how can he be in hell, all right? How could he be in hell? Because we've often heard that hell is the absence of God, right? Uh, that we, you know, we will not be in God's presence. So how did that, how was that reconciled for you in your reading? Okay, he has different, respo- different, different responsibilities or, or ways that he interacts in different places, correct? So he may be there to execute judgment uh, or punishment or his wrath. And that is the way that we see that he is present in hell. So he's, it's not his presence like we would experience as a believer, his presence with us on a daily basis, and surely not his presence that we will experience as we move into eternity and we experience him forever. But God is present everywhere. Uh, now, is any one of his attributes greater than the other, or is anyone more true about him than any other? Okay, But the fact of the matter is, is that we might see one of his attributes more clearly at one time in our life than another, right? And so it may seem that this attribute is stronger to us because it may be where we are and what we're seeing in this life. And so his attributes, God emphasizes them differently at different times, okay? And that's the way he works and that's the way he's present, okay? As we, um, as we look at that, um, we also learned about God's unity, and his unity was what? Because we had, we had five attributes, and then we're going to have all these communicable attributes, all right? So God is this, right? But he is holy, omnipresent, and he's holy loving, right? He's holy, uh, he's holy in his eternality, but he's also holy this. So if he's holy all these things, and that's his character, what did unity tell us? He can't be divided into parts. So he's not part this, part this, part that. But he's all of these things. It's just a, it's his simplicity of who he is. God is all the things that he reveals to us. Uh, though we aren't able to comprehend all of his attributes at once, they are no less true. Uh, some of his attributes will come more clearly at some times, uh, singled out more times than others. And so that's uh, the way that we see him. Now, as we come and we walk through uh, the questions, the question came to this. As we think about his incommunicable attributes and all the things that he has, there's no ability. We have the ability to know and understand and be in a relationship with God. We look at his attributes that are here, uh, and we think about these things. Uh, it came down to the question of this. If we sin against God today, when would it start bringing sorrow to God's heart? immediately. Uh, When would it stop bringing sorrow to God's heart? Okay, all right. And and we we know and understand that how. Okay, he removes our sin from us as far as the east is to the west. We can think of, of the passage as well, that God removes our sin from us and he casts them into the depths of what? The sea? Never to be brought back up. We think about it, and you led to it earlier, Junior. First uh, John 1, 9, that if we confess our sin, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sin and do what? Cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If he cleanses us from all unrighteousness, is he still holding that sin against us? Is it still grieving his heart? No. And so he is pleased, and, and that is not bringing him sorrow. Um, as we think about all of his attributes and his these things does the reflection help you understand why God's character requires that he must punish sin understanding who he is does it help you understand why he must punish sin why did why does God have to punish sin okay he's just okay some of the things you're going to hear next week as Pastor Phil leads into the communicable attributes and some other things. But he is just. What also do we know about God? He's fully holy, all right? There is no, he, he is light. You, Junior, you said it earlier. He is light. In him, there is no darkness at all. He cannot be present with sin. He must punish sin. And who deserved to die for our sin? 
We did. But God, out of his love and grace for us, did what? Sent his son. Sent his son to pay that penalty on our behalf. And so uh, there had to be a, a payment made for sin. And God established what that looked like with the shedding of blood, right? And we see that all the way back in Genesis. All right? And we know that, that the scripture tells us that without the shedding of blood, there is what? No remission of sin, correct? So God had to make and provide a sacrifice on our behalf because there was no way in our lives that we would ever attain salvation and a work of righteousness in our own life apart from the work of God. So he sent his son to pay the penalty that was ours. Um, he did that because that was his requirement. Some people ask, well, why did Jesus have to die? You know, why couldn't he just allow anyone into, the, into his presence? Well, we know that that's not God, and he cannot be in the presence of sin. And we know that the wages of sin is death. If I ask you in this question, and this was in your personal application question, do you know and understand that your sins are forgiven? Or do you think that they're unforgiven sins? Are they forgiven? Okay. And they're forgiven how? Through our confession and through the what? The work of Jesus Christ on Calvary's cross. Do we, do we often not walk in that truth? That our sins are forgiven? Do you find that sometimes you might walk in the guilt and the shame of your own sin? And sometimes even in your confession, do you find that you reach back and you pick that sin up when God's already said, let it go? It's kind of in our nature to do those things. But if you're in Christ, your sins have been forgiven. You have been completely set free and cleansed of your sin. So those are the questions that you have in looking at God's incommunicable attributes. Any questions that came up that... As you work through this, because we work through every question and every review question in our time tonight. But any questions that come up as you think about God's unchangeableness, His eternity, as you think about His omnipresence, of those things that you think, um, this helps me in this world that I live in. Where would you lean in most in God's incommunicable attributes in helping someone understand the existence of God? Which one of those you think helps the most? Okay, all right, his unchangeableness, all right. Anything else? I mean, his what? All right, his omnipresence, all right. That he is here with us. Uh, all right, so, so seeing his presence, seeing that he's unchanging, that he's good on his promises. If God promised it, we can do what? We can take it to the bank, can't we? All right. Uh, we can rest and stand on the promises of our God because He is faithful and He is true. Uh, and He is holy and righteous in all those areas. So we can rest in those. Uh, when we think about His existence and the question of His existence, it's just being able to point people to the realities that are around us. That He's revealed Himself in nature. He's revealed Himself in His Word. Now the thing, that, the thing about revealing Himself in His Word is that some people don't accept this, do they? So if someone's not accepting of his word and they say, well, this is just a book that was written by a bunch of different men and uh, it's just a story, how do we get them to the place to know and understand the existence of God when they, when they do not hold this to be truth? Where are, we, where are we pointing to? Your own story? That's right. Uh, that he is a relational God. You point to the work that he's done in your heart and your life. You all have that story. <laughs> And everybody's story is different. Mine is not yours, and yours is not mine. But you know what? The greatness of it is that we were all lost in our sin and in darkness, and God called us out of that darkness into the light, and he gave us life through Jesus Christ. That's our story, right? And then we can tell of the goodness and the grace that he's poured into our life and how he leads us and guides us and works with us on a daily basis and how we know he is real because we have seen him work and how he continues to work. All right? You ever feel like some days he's not working? In, in, those, mom in those moments of doubt or insecurity or those kind of things, what, 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 must, we, what must we lean into? We lean into his truth. 
And where do we find it? We find it right there. All right? So we lean into his truth and we assure ourselves of his presence in our life. We assure ourselves of his goodness. We assure ourselves of all his attributes and things that he has made up of. And in those moments, God continues to play our story and to work in our story. And as we live and move in this world around us, we can tell of the goodness and the greatness of our God because of the work that he has done in our life and on our behalf. But we can always point to his existence through nature. We can always point them to his word. And we need to help them understand God's word and why it is true. We need to, and that's what we've looked at over the course where Pastor Phil led us and Jeff talked to us about the scriptures of being able to take people to the word and help them understand that this is truth and it does hold truth for their lives, right? Okay. Any other questions? Does God know the, okay, does God know the future and does he influence it? That is to come. (laughs) God does know the future and he knows all things because God is omniscient, okay? So God knows all things. God is sovereign. He is in control of all things. But we could be here the rest of the night as we dive into that one, all right? Uh, But uh, yes, God does know. Uh, He is working and moving in ways that we cannot see and that we will never understand. But God is at work in ways that we will never see to move about and, uh, and accomplish his perfect will. Yes. That helpful? It's not fully explaining it. You'll have to hang on to the rest of the chapters, but it's not fully understanding it, okay? Any other question? All right, the scripture, you can read it and read it and read it and read it. And at one time you go by a verse, it doesn't seem to make an impact on your life. Another time it does. And that is the work of the Holy Spirit in your life as well. Because where you are in circumstances in your life now, I read that passage and it has new meaning to me. Where before it may not have applied directly to me. So the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of the Word as it comes together does that work in your life. Yes. Yes, that's right. Anybody else? And we'll close. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you for your time here tonight. Let me pray for you, and we'll see you uh, next week, okay? Fathers, we come before you tonight. We thank you for your goodness. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for your presence here with us in this place. And, Father, we give you praise for who you are. And as we think about your incommunicable attributes, the things you don't share with us, Father, we know that these are things that that we even ought not to try to attain because you are God and we are not. Uh, So tonight, we thank you and we praise you for the things that make you different from us and make you holy God. And tonight, as we come before you, we pray that you continue to help us know and understand the truth of who you are and how we can help others in this world come to an understanding of your love for them and your plan for them and salvation in Jesus Christ. So, Father, go with us from this place tonight. Give us strength and encouragement in the days ahead. For us in Christ's name we pray. Amen. We hope that this podcast was a blessing to you and that you grew in your knowledge of God. If you liked this podcast, I encourage you to share it with your friends and your family on social media so that others can hear the truth of God's word. Till next time.